The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Episode 170 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Cloud Accounting Software FreshBooks, offering a free 30-day unrestricted trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Most of us interact on autopilot. Yeah, we're listening. Yeah, we're watching, but we're not really trying to solve someone. And so the way that I approach solving someone is you are listening to them better than they've ever been listened to before. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hello, and happy Mother's Day a few days late to my mom, who doesn't listen to the podcast, so I'm not quite sure why I'm wishing her a happy Mother's Day, but nonetheless, happy Mother's Day to your mom. This is the Read to Lead podcast, the show dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We talk about leadership, of course, to some extent in virtually every conversation, but we also dig into topics like personal growth, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, personal growth, you might say, getting the focus today as we talk to Vanessa Van Edwards. She's the author of a new book called Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. It is a fascinating book. I plan to ask Vanessa about how to create what she calls conversation sparks and leverage them to strengthen your relationships, how to spot micro expressions and understand the true meaning behind the words of others, some personality hacks for getting the best from people, and a lot more. When it comes to my business, I'm all about getting the best, and that includes my cloud accounting software solution. I use FreshBooks and have since late 2009, and I highly recommend you consider FreshBooks cloud accounting software as well. They're sponsoring this episode. I can't imagine keeping track of the money coming into and out of my business being any easier to track than with FreshBooks cloud accounting software. It's been a whole lot easier around tax time, too, I can tell you that. I think it's safe to say that my business could not survive for very long without it. I upgraded recently to the all-new FreshBooks, and it is ridiculously easy to use, and they are all about transforming how people like you and me, freelancers and small business owners, deal with our day-to-day paperwork. As I like to say, FreshBooks is great even if you're not a numbers person, and especially if you're not a numbers person. They've got a free month-long unrestricted trial you can take advantage of right now. Just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead to find out more. Be sure and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Again, that's a month long, 30 day free trial. You get access to all FreshBooks features. Just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Vanessa Van Edwards is lead investigator at the Science of People, a human behavior research lab. Now, how cool does that job sound? Uh, As a uh, published author and speaker, she runs original research experiments on topics like the science of attraction, human lie detection, body language hacks, and many other people skills at her website, 
scienceofpeople.com. Now, Vanessa, my mom is not a regular listener to this podcast, but I think you're going to help change that. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Vanessa's <laughs> latest book is, is Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. And oh, by the way, it was chosen as one of Apple's most anticipated books of 2017. So, Vanessa, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast, and thank you for helping me convince my mom to listen. Oh, it is my pleasure. Hello, mom. It is so good. To, it's so good to meet you over the airwaves. <laughs> well, I, I know you've you kind of refer to yourself as a recovering awkward uh, person. I think is how you how you put it. Uh, <laughs> so, I'd love for you to shed some light on this this journey you've taken. How did you get from from that? Uh, to what you're doing today. How did you get into this line of work in the first place? Yeah, you know, I was one of those kids that was a little bit terrified of the playground, um, preferred <laughs> watching the chalkboards <laughs> to, right? to playing on the playground. And I did I did grow up in the era of chalkboards. Um, so um, <laughs> in school, you know, I, I was very comfortable with the schoolwork, books, homework. But when it came, you know, as I got older and older, when it came to interacting with other kids, that was really hard. And then as I got into college and I had to do group projects and do interviews and start going to networking events, I realized that there was this entire skill set that I was not being taught. That it's sort of assumed that you either pick up people skills, you learn yeah. them eventually, or you either have them or you don't. And I thought there had to be a better way. There had to be a way to teach people skills as black and white. So sort of turning um, the soft skills into hard skills. And so that was the sort of start, the wish for my work was trying to figure out, are there algorithms to charisma? Are there formulas for conversation? Not in a way that makes you um, practice or rehearse, but in a way that you can actually do it authentically with confidence. And that was sort of the goal behind everything that I do at Science People. And there's plenty of, of research, obviously, that goes in behind all this. And you seem to be as good as anybody I, I've seen at taking that and really presenting it in a, in a, in a fun to consume, easy to consume mm. kind of way. Edutainment is one of my favorite <laughs> non, non-words <laughs> because, you know, I... I I had also taken a couple of these courses, and I'm sure you've seen before, where it's like leadership of the 21st century. And then it's, you know, it's like, make sure that you're nice to people mm. and always be yourself. And so I, I appreciate you saying that sort of it's a fun way of thinking about it, because I think that we don't have to teach people skills like chemistry. I want the <laughs> formulas, right? I want all the, the hard skills and the steps. And mm. but I don't I don't think we have to make it boring. And so that's actually something that I work really hard at. It's not as easy as you would think. I, I actually try to take courses on how to be funny. Obviously, those didn't work, um, but I did. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> now, something that was liberating for me to read in the early part of the book was this this concept you share about playing your position. I think as a society, at least when I grew up and, and then, you know, sort of began adulting for the first time, I kind of learned that, you know, if you if you wanted to to make a name for yourself, if you wanted to be successful, there were certain ways to go about doing this. And that might include a lot of, you know, say, networking, typical networking events and collecting business cards and all those sort of things. And not that there's anything wrong with any of that. But I know for me personally, that was something I wasn't always comfortable with. So talk about this concept of of playing your position and, and, and why that's so important. Yeah. So the reason why this came up is because at the very beginning of my career, I was given the same piece of advice over and over again, which was say yes to everything. <laughs> 
And, and I, and I took it to heart. I mean, I forced myself to go to every networking event, every coffee, every opportunity that came up. And what happened was, is a, I was exhausted because I was going to things where I I was playing in positions that weren't me, but also I was developing a lot of high, a lot of quantity connections, but not a lot of high quality connections. Mm. So I was very, very busy with no work that actually (laughs) paid the bills, Mm. (laughs) which is the worst place to be. And so I, I realized that. I think that when you look at social interactions, if you looked at it like a sport or a game, it's very, very similar. Just like when you play, let's take you know basketball, for example. If you play basketball, you kind of have to work your skills. You get better. You train off the, on the side. There are big games, but you can work your way up. I think it's the same thing with people's skills. I don't think you have to be born with them. I think you can work and train to get better. And one of the essential things is identifying which position you should be. If you are very tall you have certain positions that you're going to be better suited at. If you're very fast, you're going to have certain positions you're better suited at. So one thing that I started thinking about is, okay, what am I naturally good at? Like, what are my natural assets? I really like learning. I like talking in depth about, um, you know, interesting subjects. I read a lot of really weird things. So I do really <laughs> well in one, one-on-one conversations where I can kind of bring up interesting tidbits. I do really well in like learning contexts, like conferences or classrooms. I do not do so well at very loud places, like loud bars, or really loud networking events. Um, cause I can't have a lot of that, that, that conversation. So what I encourage people listening to think about is if you had to pick three social skills that you're very good at, or three, I'll say three social skills that make you comfortable, maybe not very good at make you comfortable. That could be, um, your knowledge of music, right? Like maybe that, like, you know, concerts, music halls, clubs, like maybe that is something that you're really strong at that, that actually is a social skill, or maybe it's connecting people, or maybe it's listening, or maybe it's telling stories. Think about a couple of skills that you're really good at, and then start trying to figure out how you can set yourself up for situations where you can play that position. And that's a much easier way to think about interacting. I, I like the analogy you use in the uh, Sparks chapter. Uh, you, you liken it to sort of a, a roller coaster in these, you know, hills and valleys. And, uh, talk a bit about what you mean by conversational sparks and, and how that can can be leveraged to to make us more memorable. Yeah. So I was having the exact same conversation everywhere I went. See, if this sounds familiar to you. <laughs> so this is what happened. So Jeff, uh, so what do you do? Great. Uh, where are you from? Wonderful. So you live around here? Uh-huh. Well, you know, I'll get some wine and I'll talk to you soon. Great meeting. Like that was the conversation that I had every, like a variation of that every time. I, my brain was asleep, basically. And I realized that not only was my brain asleep, but their brain was asleep as well. And the only way to actually have conversation that A, was interesting, but also B, if I wanted to be more memorable, you know, that was a big thing as people always say, like, how do I make sure people remember meeting me or remember my name or how do I be the most memorable person in the room? And if you look at the, the chemistry behind that dopamine, which is mm. a, you know, a neurotransmitter of pleasure, literally physiologically serves as a mental marker, meaning that when we trigger someone's pleasure centers, they are more likely to remember you, the conversation that was had and that interaction. So I realized that trying to create sparks in conversation where you prime people's brain to think in pleasure. So that could be have any vacations coming up slightly. Mm. It's still safe, but it's a slightly more pleasure seeking question. So Mm. I developed all these questions that are pleasure seeking. In other words, they somehow look to try to hit or push 
the, the dopamine receptors in the brain so that you, A, give them a dose of pleasure, which is the greatest thing I think we can do. Mm-hmm. And then the side effect is you become more memorable yourself. Uh, I'm going to steal your idea of, of passing out lollipops uh, with your business. Yes. <laughs> so in, in there's a lot of different ways to spark pleasure. Like, yes, verbally is one of them. You can ask, you know, do you have any vacations coming up or, um, you know, working on anything, any personal passions? Those are all great verbally. But there's also a lot of nonverbal ways to simulate pleasure uh, with props. And I'm a big fan of props. Um, <laughs> I, my friends call my purse uh, the magic purse because you never know what I'm going to pull out of it. <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, so I, I had done this experiment um, back in the day where I created three different versions of my business card because I had a sneaking suspicion that our business cards could actually be a tool for a laugh or memorability or pleasure. So I created three different versions of my business card and with different emails on each one. And I started tracking which ones got the most responses back. Mm. Um, and it was very clear that the business card that was clever, it wasn't funny. Uh, it's still the one I use today, actually. It has a three pictures of me making the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, <laughs> you know, hands over ears, eyes and mouth, um, which is a little bit clever. And, you know, obviously I'm re- researching human behavior and it kind of gets like a little bit of like a, oh, that's that's cool. That got way more responses. Then I, I found that if I added a prop, which was a lollipop, I had custom lollipops made and I still give them out there. They say, learn how not to suck, <laughs> which is one of our taglines um, at our website. And I would give those people if I was feeling particularly brave and it always got a laugh. It still gets a laugh. And then I also give them to people and I say, give this to someone else who needs a laugh. And people love that too. <laughs> well, Vanessa says she, she once had a trusted friend tell her that she was an interrupter, a conversation interrupter. Ouch. Uh, what did you do, Vanessa, to begin turning that around? How did you, how did you go from interrupter to, to non-interrupter? What was interesting about that, it was it hurt, as you said, you know, ouch, oh, it hurt. But instantly I learned something about myself, which is that the reason I was interrupting is because I was terrified of the awkward silence, mm. is I had been taught or seen or learned that if there was a lull in conversation, it meant that you were being boring. And so and one of my social gremlins, we talk about social gremlins in the book, is is the fear of being boring, boring or being forgotten. Tapping into that was extremely helpful. Like, ah, oh, like it's actually afraid of being boring. But actually listening or having a pause doesn't mean that something's boring. It actually could mean that something that was very thoughtful was just said, which is way better than any joke or any laugh or, or any like, you know, small talk banter. So, um, I did, as I talked about in the book, a vow of silence where I was silent, um, completely silent, no emailing, no texting, no writing, no nothing, um, just to practice listening. And it was incredible what happened because my very first networking event, I was like sweating. I was so nervous because I actually went out. I decided if I was going to be silent, I actually had to go and listen to people. It wasn't just me being alone in my house, which is in my comfort zone. Mm. Um, so I, I only had a little flashcard that said, I've taken a vow of silence to become a better listener. Please tell me about you. So I had that little card and I brought it to networking events and I learned more in that one week of being silent than I had learned probably in three or four years of networking events. The feelings that I had of just listening, of relief, of letting go of that fear of being boring and just letting myself listen to whatever they were saying, and the depth that people went to 
when someone was there a hundred percent, just fully listening, not thinking about what I was going to say next or, you know, what clever comeback or, you know, taking turns in conversation. Um, and that was that, that was the anchor story that I told in chapter four, because I think that we have the, the power of silence can be very powerful. And didn't you even uh, give one example, uh, and maybe this happened numerous times, where you had people emailing you in some cases afterward saying how much they enjoyed the conversation, and you're thinking, well, I never said a word. (laughs) Yes, people actually say... That was one of the best networking events I've ever been to. It's the best conversation I had in years. And I'm thinking to myself, you had to go visit with yourself. I mean, I was giving non feedback, right? Like I was yeah. nodding and I was smiling and, you know, I would say, oh, you know, kind of like, ah, like that kind of thing. But I think that there's a lot that happens when you let someone really go there. And, mm. um, it's, there's times when I'm, and, and maybe this is for you too, Jeff, you know, you're, you're interviewing people. So you're kind of letting them go. And there's a moment sometimes where you, you realize if I just stay quiet, they might go one step farther. And that's I think, where the, the really beautiful stuff comes from. I'm staying quiet. For just a second. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, talk to me a bit about this idea of searching for uh, me too opportunities. And I hear a lot of people in conversations, uh, someone will say something and, and they'll immediately say, oh, you know, I, I didn't like that movie or, 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 or something mm-hmm. like that. Let's say that's the example. And, and it kind of shuts the conversation down when you could instead say maybe something like, oh, that's interesting. Why did you feel that way? Uh, talk to me a little bit about that and, and shed some light on that. This is a concept that I had been dancing around for many years, but I couldn't quite put my finger on how to describe it. And it would happen exactly as you just mentioned, when usually someone would bring up a topic they were excited about. Um, I can think of a very specific example. My sister was explaining that she discovered this new cake recipe that she was talking about. And she was so excited and she was going to make it for her friend. And oh my gosh, it's this really famous, I think it's called Mama Fuku cake and she's going to make it. And the person she was speaking with said, oh, yeah, I'm allergic to gluten, so I can't do cake. <laughs> and my, my sister, I have two baby sisters. My baby sister, her face was just, it was just like crestfallen. Like, and, mm. and, I, and, and that, in that moment, I realized it was as if she, this, this other woman had accidentally put a wet blanket on top of a fire. Mm. And I realized that everyone lost. The, the woman lost because... Yeah, she could be gluten free, but it doesn't mean she doesn't have to like sugar. It doesn't mean you can't have a conversation about, you know, this interesting cake recipe. Mm. And my sister lost because she had this excitement that then she felt bad about. She felt bad that she had brought up cakes for this woman who was gluten free. And then I felt bad because I had to come in and rescue the conversation to try to make everyone feel better. (laughs) So I realized that what was happening was when we are in conversation, the greatest gift we can give someone else is letting them feel like there is some form of camaraderie. Mm. And the way that we do that is by having a me too. And a me too does not have to mean that it has to be the same. It just means that you find a thread and I call this thread theory, a thread of similarity. So for example, if she was talking about cake, the woman doesn't have to say that she's gluten-free, although she can bring that up. She can say, oh my gosh, I'm gluten-free, but let me tell you, if there was any way to make that cake gluten-free, I would totally go for it because I love sugar or I mm. love sweets. Whatever it is, it's a way of trying to search for me too's. And then what that does is mentally for you, it helps you stay very engaged in the conversation without just trying to think about the next thing to say. Mm. So it's a way of 
you being engaged. And second, it also helps the conversation stay quite high and create these peaks because you have these moments of me too. And if you really can't find a me too moment, I say the other thing you can say is teach me. So if you really, there's nothing, you hate sugar, you hate mama fuku, you hate gluten, you hate birthdays, even, (laughs) even if it's that, okay, you hate everything. There's not, there's no me too there. The the other version of me too is teach me. So she could at least say, you know what? I've, I've never heard of that kind of cake. I haven't had cake in a few years. Tell me what, where did you even discover that? How did they come up with that kind of cake? So at least you're not bringing up the, the wet blanket. You're, you're, not, you're not smothering out the fires. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, chapters in the book, Vanessa, was a chapter where you dig into to micro expressions. I'm, I'm fascinated by the science. Somewhat familiar with it, but I, I like how you lay it out and teach us how to recognize each of them in, in conversation. Uh, describe what they are a little more specifically than I just did, if you can. And, and <laughs> is it true that, that none of us really can manipulate our own? I mean, these are just involuntary. Voluntary, is that right? Yeah. So a micro expression, it's a little different than a facial expression, which is, I think, how a lot of people get confused. So mm-hmm. a micro expression is a very brief, involuntary facial gesture that someone makes when they feel a very intense emotion. So someone feels frightened, they all this, they see a snake and their face makes a reaction mm-hmm. or they feel happy and their face makes a reaction. And Dr. Paul Ekman is the one who discovered these and he um, is an amazing researcher. We used to think that facial expressions were learned, that babies were born, looked at their mother or father's face and then mirrored them or mim- mimicked them. But actually what he found is that congenitally blind babies, babies who've been blind since birth, make the same facial expressions at the same time as seeing babies. And this is very interesting because it hints that we actually aren't learning or, or mirroring a lot of our nonverbal. Actually, some of it are the way that we express is somehow coded. So it's a human behavior as opposed to a, a cultural behavior. So he has discovered there are seven universal facial expressions. And he has found that across cultures, across genders and races, we all make these same seven facial gestures. Now, the important thing to know about this is it's not a facial expression. It's a micro expression. So a facial expression is something that someone holds on their face mm. for longer than a second. A micro expression is usually one fourth of a second. I mean, it's very, very quick. Mm. We see these right away because they're almost like flashes of emotions and they are our intuitive reflex response. It's almost like if you touch a hot pan, your hand moves away before you even realize you've touched a hot pan. It's the same thing with a facial expression, Uh, right? If your brain had to slow down and be like, now I will smile. Now I will raise my left eyebrow. Now I will flare my nostrils. It's not that we can do that. Like I can flare my nostrils right now. I'm doing it. But the instinctual response that we get, if we smell something bad, our nostrils do that before we even realize we've done it. So it's that instinctive response, that very quick initial one that we do. And in our lab, we're constantly videotaping people and looking for um, micro expressions when we're doing lie detection research. And we're always looking for the fast one, not the slow one. And many of them, as I recall from my reading, are easy to recognize. But there was one in particular that we confuse a lot, I think. Was that contempt, I believe? Contempt is one of the micro expressions. And I won't I won't tell you what it is because I want you to see if you can get it. Mm. Um, but people most often confuse that with boredom. Oh. And contempt is a very, very negative expression. So I think it's fascinating that the, of the most negative expressions, <laughs> we, we confuse that with apathy, which I think is just 
incredible. So the reason why this is important is because we think we're very intuitive at reading microexpressions. And while we express microexpressions intuitively, we're not as good as at decoding as we would have liked. Uh, and I want to point out too, at this point in the conversation that this is all about, it's not about, I should say, manipulating people. This is about better relationships, improving our relationships. If you would, maybe walk us through some of your methods of an SF for, for cracking someone's personality. Again, not to manipulate, but to get to that point of having a, a deeper, uh, better relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point you mentioned that there's a fine line between, I think, manipulating and reading someone. What I like to think is that most of us interact on autopilot in the sense of, yeah, we're listening, yeah, we're watching, but we're not really trying to solve someone. And so the way that I approach solving someone is you are listening to them better than they've ever been listened to before. <laughs> you are literally listening to the kinds of words they use. You're, you're watching their micro expressions. You're reading their body language. You are so listening that you're actually taking in channels that you didn't even consider before that most people don't consider. So in that way, I think that's actually a very beautiful way to interact because it's so rare that we get that kind of rapt attention, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens, by the way, it's funny, I've been um, watching, we have a Captivate book club where uh, people on Facebook have been, you know, writing as they read. And a couple of people have said that the force with which people respond to being listened to that deeply is like overwhelmed. Mm. Like people are like, oh my gosh, you know, I just feel like we've known each other for years. <laughs> I feel like, oh my God, I've never had such a good conversation. Mm. And that's because we don't realize how thirsty we are, I think, until we get water wow. a little bit. So solving, I think, happens in three different rings. And I call this the matrix. Um, not quite as good as the Keanu Reeves <laughs> matrix, but almost as good. And this is chapter, this is section two of the book. So the outer ring of the personality matrix is your five personality traits. So it's where someone ranks on the big five. And the big five are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and eroticism. And this is the only personality science that's actually used in academia. DISC, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, it really hasn't been backed up academically. So this is the only one that is used across countries and universities as kind of the standard. So figuring out where someone falls in each of those personality traits. The second layer is figuring out someone's appreciation language. This is based on um, Dr. Gary Chapman's research. Right. Um, expanded a little bit on appreciation language ver as, as opposed to just love language, which is how does someone express and feel love? Mm -hmm. And the last layer, which is I think the most important, is uh, the center of the matrix is called resource theory. And it's um, based on what resource someone wants most in an interaction. Mm. It's like, an, like layers of an onion, basically. Exactly. And that is a sort of a cliche. We, we think, you know, oh, Oh, I'm peeling back his layers. Yeah. No, I don't think that's a cliche at all. I think that is exactly how we interact. That's exactly how people are is you kind of show maybe two or three of your personality traits, maybe extroversion, maybe conscientiousness and openness, but you don't show in your neuroticism and your agreeableness, right? That's a, that's a further layer. And yeah. so I think it's absolutely like an onion. That's a, that's a perfect, actually when I teach, this live, I have a couple of live classes that I teach this. I have a bag, a basket of onions mm. on stage with me just to remind people of that analogy. <laughs> well, I, I have to admit, I stole it from you. So, <laughs> um, borrowed. borrowed, okay, borrowed. Uh, I have a couple of questions in, in the time we have left that are not directly related to the book. I'd love to squeeze in, but before I do that, is there anything else from the book, Vanessa, you want to make sure we know? I think 
if you ever had sort of that moment where you thought, oh, I, I wasn't born to do that, or I wish I could be naturally better at conversation or public speaking, or I wish I was charismatic. I think after many, many years of researching all kinds of charismatic and influential people, yes, you can be born with it, but you don't have to be. And so if you've had that feeling, there is so much out there that you can do. And I didn't believe this at first, but there's so much you can do to improve your natural abilities. Um, you don't have to be born with it. So that's sort of the, the one thing I would really try to encourage for people. You can indeed recover from your awkwardness. <laughs> that's right. I, I, I'm still working on it. I'm still in recovery, but it's, it's working. <laughs> Vanessa is a living proof. Well, we're all about books here, of course. And, and you mentioned loving to read. Uh, think about maybe a couple of books you've read over the last year or two, Vanessa, that have had a, had a big impact on you. Would you be willing to, to share with us the titles and, and how they impacted you? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So I read uh, two books a week, a nonfiction and a fiction. Mm. It's very hard. You know, you know, asking me to pick a favorite book is like saying <laughs> pick a favorite child. Right. It's very hard. <laughs> me too. Very hard. <laughs> I know. Um, but there's a couple that I'm looking over at my, my bookshelf right now. Is, <laughs> we're talking, I'm like, which one do I want to mention? Um, so I think the one that I really, really liked this year um, was... Yes. Smart Cuts. Mm. Have you read that book? I have read that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a great book and it's about really interesting little shortcuts in business. And it's one of those books. I sometimes books are, are, um, smoothies or milkshakes where mm. they're kind of chunky and they're, you know, it takes you a while to get them down and, you know, you have to drink them real slow or else you get a, a headache, an ice headache, a cold, what do you call that? Cold headache, brain freeze. Yeah. Brain freeze. <laughs> um, but smart cuts is like water where that's a book where like you just start reading it and you just flow, flow, flow. You just like, it's real easy to turn those pages. So if you're looking for a really easy book with some really practical tips and interesting stories, that's a really good one. So that, that's a, that's a water book that I really like. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, you know, we had Shane on this show. I think it was episode eighty-one. So we'll put a we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Ah, I have to go listen to that. That's wonderful. Oh, awesome. You know, the, the other book that I on the other side of the spectrum, I have a rule that I only read books that have been recommended to me three different times by three oh. different sources. And so because I get sent a lot of books and I've told a lot about books, but if I if I hear about a book three different ways, three different resources, I will I have to read it. Like not only will I read it, I actually have to read it. So um the book Radical Acceptance. Have you ever heard that book? I have not. No, that's a new one. Uh, by Dr. Tara, I think it's Tara Brack, B-R-A-C-H. Mm. This book was recommended to me three times, and it's about um, sort of the inner emotional world um, of who you are and and, and um, kind of accepting your, your history, your childhood. A very interesting read. Uh, definitely a milkshake read. Um, takes a while. It took me, you know, 20 pages at a time, but it was really, really interesting. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I know you do a lot of, of teaching, a lot of coaching, a lot of consulting, um, and a, a lot of public speaking and keynoting. I love it if you could take a moment to share maybe a, a tip or two on how you deliver an impactful and, uh, as we've talked about, memorable, uh, but in this case, public talk. Yes. My biggest piece of advice, the, I think the first one is um, scripts 
kill charisma. Mm. And we, you know, we did a massive research experiment in our lab studying TED Talks. We studied thousands of hours of TED Talks looking for patterns. And we found that one of the biggest was vocal charisma. And mm. the TED speakers who were almost like they were reading from a script in their head um, had the least amount of vocal charisma. Uh, you could, and you could hear it in their voice. Whereas the speakers, they knew the material so well, they were, it sounded like they were having a conversation with you. That was a huge difference. And so I realized as I've been working with many, many speakers, I found that if they have scripted out, they've written out word for word their presentation, either memorized it or are working from a from a kind of live script, mm-hmm. it comes across in their charisma. Um, it really, it's like a wet blanket for it a little bit. <laughs> Brain does not like to hear things that are being read. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't like it. So um, my big advice for you would be um, throw away the script and work off bullet points, work off bullet points, Mm -hmm. images and stories. So whenever I work with speakers and I don't even do coaching anymore, this is usually in big classes. Mm -hmm. I have kind of take their script and put it. Each sentence can only be a two or three word bullet point. So there's no like actual words being read in the head. And then if they can turn an entire paragraph into an image or a story, that's a much better way to work off of your notes. And that's exactly how you should have your notes is bullet, picture, story, bullet, picture, story. And if you don't have enough stories in there, it means you don't have enough stories in there, right? Like if you (laughs) have a story in there every third or fourth point, if you don't have enough images, it means you don't have enough imagery in your um, talk. So that way it kind of also helps you vary up what you're saying as well. If you want to find out more about Vanessa, it's scienceofpeople.com. And I highly recommend you sign up at scienceofpeople.com slash toolbox and you'll get access to uh, many of the exercises and quizzes that she uh, uh, utilizes in the book. Highly recommend it. Vanessa, thank you so much for taking time to be a part of this. Oh, gosh. Thanks for bringing me on. And thanks for loving books. (laughs) It's what I do. I mentioned Vanessa's uh, website a moment ago. If you've already forgotten it, never fear. You can always find the links and resources talked about in this episode at the show notes page created just for it. And that page for this episode is readtoleadpodcast.com slash 170 for episode 170. I hope you'll consider trying out cloud accounting software FreshBooks. They're offering that 30-day free unrestricted trial just for you as a listener to the Read to Lead podcast. Just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead to find out more. And did you know that I'm meeting online every month with a special group of Read to Lead listeners? That's right. Members of the Read to Lead University Book Club. We'd love to have you as part of our book club. As we dive into a new book each month, read it together, meet at the end of the month to talk about it. Sometimes we have visits from the authors themselves in our monthly meetings. It's a great way to get more out of the books you're reading and put more of what you're reading into action. Find out more at readtoleaduniversity.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 